going to be in Jonah 4 this morning, wrapping up our series on Jonah. This has been a difficult week. Thursday morning we got word that our friend Mark already had passed away. And when people pass away, others often say they were a good person. Mark was a legitimately good person. He was a selfless person. He was a hospital chaplain who, even when he was in the hospital to receive care, spent his time there counseling some of the other patients and family members in the waiting room. My most vivid memory of him displays how good he is. It's kind of corny and dumb. And we met at Howard Payne where we went to college. Uh, and when we were there, they had a, a few arcade, like standing arcade games upstairs in the university center. And one of those games was called NBA Jam. Uh, if any of y'all have ever heard of that game. And it was a game you could sort of sign into with your like initials or name or whatever, and it would keep track of your wins and losses. It was one of the first games that was sort of like that. And one time while Mark was playing the game, I rudely broke one of the unspoken rules of gaming and entered as his opponent. And he looked at me, but he didn't say anything. I came out on top, I defeated him, and he smiled and said, good game, even though the loss would go against his record in the game. And it wouldn't have been a big deal if we had agreed to play at the beginning, but I had interrupted his game and then taken it from him. He didn't gripe or cuss or skulk away and write me off as a jerk, even though he probably should have. I would have done all those things, but not Mark. Several years later, we ended up at the same church and got to know each other a bit better. And he wasn't loud or obnoxious about his faith, but I could tell that he had something that I did not, some sort of peace that I wished that I could have as well. And we didn't really stay in close touch, but we did still comment back and forth on Facebook and things like that until several months ago when things took a turn for the worst with his cancer. When Melissa first told me of his passing, it didn't even register. It wasn't until a few hours later as I was sitting in front of my laptop trying to figure out how to begin this sermon that it really hit me. And I was angry. Mark was a good man. I'm not saying he was sinless, but he was a solid believer and a decent person. The kind you just don't find in the world. And I was angry at God. I'm still a little angry. Why would God allow Mark Why wouldn't God heal him? Why was this good man suffering? 
Why not let cancer have all the murderers and thieves? Or the folks in charge of child sex trafficking? Why not them? And ultimately, all those thoughts gave way to one main thought that I couldn't shake. Why am I here? And he's gone. Of the two of us, I'm definitely the one who deserves it. I know God doesn't work that way. So hear me say that. I know God doesn't work that way. But that's what came to mind. And it hurt. It made me angry. Have you ever been so angry that you wanted to die? So angry that you didn't know what to do with your anger, so you lashed out at someone close to you, maybe even God? Have you ever thought you were right and God was wrong? Have you ever shaken your fist at God and accused Him of being unjust? Ever thought God was untrustworthy? Ever thought God was evil? That's absurd, right? God is good. We are the ones who enact evil. That's us. Who are we to dangle God over a fiery pit? Who are we to stand in judgment of who God is or what God does? Let's not fool ourselves. Anyone who has experienced true loss has had these feelings toward God, or some variation of them. At some point or another, we have all thought to ourselves that we knew better than God. We've all accused God of being untrustworthy, even if we only did it in our minds. Part of what makes the story of Jonah so relatable, even to this day, is the fact that what he thought and what he felt are familiar. We all have something in common with Jonah because we have all had similar thoughts and feelings. So let's put aside any pretense this morning that we are somehow better than Jonah or that we would never say what he said or do what he did. That we would never be angry with God or our enemies. Let's open our hearts to the Holy Spirit and allow what we read here this morning, here in this text, to be like a scalpel in the hands of a loving God who wants nothing more than to walk with us through our anger and sadness to the other side where there is joy. So if you will, follow along with me as we read in Jonah 4, beginning in verse 1, and see how this all unfolds. <clears throat> but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. 
Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do, do, you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? God bless the reading of his word. Right, right away we find out where Jonah's at. The people of Nineveh have repented. God had relented of the disaster. And Jonah got angry. The first verse reveals that it displeased him exceedingly. And he was angry. What's fascinating about this description is the word that the author used. In Hebrew, the word translated as displeased is raw. And it means to be evil or displeasing. Literally, it has to do with something that is ruined by being broken into pieces. And this is what Jonah was going through in the moment. He felt as though God had literally broken everything into pieces by forgiving the Assyrians. Nothing was right anymore. And so while this word does mean displeasing, it also means evil as in broken to pieces, destroyed. Think about that. Jonah thought that what God had done had destroyed everything good. Just to make his point stronger, the author wrote that word twice, as in evil, evil. And we know that anytime we see something restated in this way, that it's for emphasis. We're meant to understand Jonah's reaction here as being the strongest possible reaction. He was angry at God because he thought God had acted in the most evil way by deciding not to destroy the people of Nineveh. And, and his anger is worth noting as well. In Hebrew, it's the word kara, and it means to burn or be kindled with anger. And this is a fierce, 
fiery anger we're talking about. Jonah was hot. As we read this story, it's easy for us to look at Jonah and think, man, he's crazy. And to think of him as, as being a terrible person. And, and, and who did he think he was anyway? And yet the point of this story is not simply that Jonah is a notorious jerk. The point is that you and I are Jonah. We run from what God wants. We head in the opposite direction and we cause problems for everyone around us. And then we try to bargain with God, making promises. If, if He will get us out of the mess that we find ourselves in, we'll do something for Him. And even when we do what God wants, we tend to do it half-heartedly or begrudgingly. And then if God doesn't do what we want in the end, if God doesn't bring it all around to the way we think it should be, we get angry and we start accusing God. We think God is unjust and untrustworthy. This is where we find Jonah. He was so angry about how badly everything was messed up that he was ready to throw some strong accusations at God but then he did something we might not really expect. He prayed. In all his burning anger and how terribly evil he thought God was being, he still prayed. And that's one of the most important things we can take away from this story. When we get to the place where Jonah was in our lives, when we think everything is broken beyond mending, and when we think God has done wrong and we're angry about it, do we actually take it to God? Do we vent to the Lord? Do we unload everything we are thinking and feeling at the foot of the only one who can handle all of our anger and accusations? Or do we just stop caring? slowly drifting away over time as our apathy keeps us from speaking to God. Now, how many of us have gone some length of time without talking to God? Without opening up our hearts to the Holy Spirit? I don't fully understand why Jonah kept talking to God. I just know that I need to do the same thing. No matter what I'm thinking or feeling at the moment. Because God is big enough to handle me and all my doubts and questions and anger and accusations. Look how God responded to Jonah. After Jonah claimed that he knew the Lord was gracious and merciful and that he would very likely relent from destroying Nineveh, he begged God to take his life. And after Jonah's emotional outpouring, did the Lord strike him dead for daring to question the situation? Did God return his anger in kind? Was Jonah a sinner in the hands of an angry God or a loving God? Verse 4, the Lord responded by asking Jonah a question. 
He said, do you do well to be angry? And this is worded sort of odd for our ears, and that's a translation thing, but the key to what he is basically asking is found in the Hebrew word yatal, which means to be good, well, glad, or pleasing. In other words, God was asking Jonah if being angry was pleasing to him, if he was enjoying it. If it was making him whole and complete to be angry about Nineveh receiving mercy. As if God was asking, what's it doing for you, Jonah? This anger that you have. What's it accomplishing? Is it so comforting to you that it's worth terminating our relationship? We don't tend to think of anger as comforting. But the truth is that we often take solace in being mad at certain people. It makes us feel justified about the situation between us. It allows us to see ourselves as victims and martyrs. In other words, anger can often fill the space, the space within us where God should be. It can become an idol as we cling to the anger instead of leaning into the love and mercy and grace of God. And it can be used like a fire that keeps us warm on bitter nights full of resentment. But that fire will eventually run out of fuel and leave us cold. It will not be good or pleasing and it won't make us whole or complete. As much as Jonah wanted to hang on to his anger, as we see moving forward, God was trying to show him that it wouldn't be able to do what he wanted it to do. That it could not fill the space that only God could fill. What we see in God's response is both comfort and reason. A way to make sense of what was happening and to be at peace with it by trusting God. Because the God interacting with Jonah and the one that sent Jesus to us is the same. God who loves all of creation and cares for each and every one of us in ways we can't even begin to wrap our minds around. A God who so loved the whole entire world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever trusted in him would not be destroyed, but would get to experience eternal life, like we read in John 3.16. This is the God who spared Nineveh, and Jonah, and the sailors on the ship, and this is the God who gathers us into his loving hands and holds us close through our own personal storms. Through all the thunder and lightning that we can muster. Notice that Jonah didn't answer the question though. Instead, verse 5 reveals that he headed east to the city and built a shelter so that he could sit and watch what would happen next. 
And it could be that he thought God might still destroy the city. That's possible. It could be that by this point he knew he could never return to Israel or Jerusalem for fear of what would happen to him when they found out what he did and how their enemies had been spared destruction. Something we have to consider, though, is that all through the Scripture, moving east represents exile. When Adam and Eve were removed from the garden, they headed east. When Cain killed Abel and the Lord confronted him, he headed east. Genesis 4.16 puts it like this in that case. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Even after the events of the book of Jonah, when Assyria conquered Israel, they were led into exile in the east. And the same thing happened with Judah when Babylon conquered them and led them into exile in the east. So interestingly, the, the temple in Jerusalem had always faced east as if to welcome exiles back home. For Jonah, heading east would represent heading into exile, heading away from God's presence in the temple. Whether it was from his people for what he had done, or from the Lord for what he had said and the way he acted, or, or maybe both those reasons and then a bunch more, Jonah felt exiled. So he headed east. And he sat in his shelter and he waited. And since Jonah had decided to stick around and see what happened next, God decided to use that time to walk with Jonah through the anger he was experiencing and see if he might come to understand mercy in a new way. This is how God works with us. When we get angry and lash out, when we refuse to trust in the Lord, nothing makes sense. When God shows mercy to people that we would definitely rather not show mercy to. Think about our culture right now. Everyone is driven by this us versus them mentality. People seem to be excited about being angry with other people. Everyone seems to be looking for reasons to be outraged at each other. And everyone is building shelters in the east, in exile from each other and the Lord. Is this what we were meant to do? Is this what God intended? Do we do well to be angry? Is it pleasing? Is it comforting? Does it make us whole and fill that God-shaped space within each of us? Look at how God walks with Jonah through this anger. In verses 6 through 7, the Lord made a plant grow over the shelter to give Jonah even more shade and to save him from his discomfort. Again, we see Jonah in the hands of the loving God. God who wants the best for him. is trying to reach out to him. And even when the Lord caused a worm to eat away at the plant so that it withered, he was gently holding Jonah in his loving hands, showing him the way back home. 
temple that faced east to welcome exiles. Back home sat the Ark of the Covenant. And on top of the Ark uh, was the, the flat part with the cherubim, angels, wings, and all that. That was called the mercy seat. Not the judgment seat. The mercy seat. Jonah didn't need to actually travel there to experience the presence of God, as we have seen in the story. But he definitely needed to recognize where he was in relationship to God. Instead of heading east and anxiously waiting for God to bring destruction, he should have understood that the mercy seat of God was not just for Israel. He should have joined the people of Nineveh in the joy of their salvation. But Jonah held on to his anger and his prejudice. When the plant grew, he enjoyed it. It completely offset the anger that he was experiencing. But when the worm destroyed the plant, Jonah was so angry that he was ready to die again. Jonah seems to have been preoccupied with dying since early on in the story when he asked the sailors to toss him overboard, it's just been like a recurring theme for him. And in this fourth chapter alone, he asked or wished to die five different times. He was not open to the Lord. He had headed east into exile. And he was closed off. And still, the Lord drew near and spoke with him. Beginning in verse 9, God had another exchange with Jonah, asking again if it was pleasing to him to be angry. This time about the plant to which Jonah repeated his desire to die. It's pretty dramatic, right? Over a plant. Jonah's mental and emotional states were completely frazzled. And as a result, his spiritual state was out of line. He felt betrayed by God. He felt as if there was no way back. No way to return to the life he knew. No way to live as he had lived before. In a sense, Jonah had tasted death in the great fish, and here, to the east of his enemies, he longed for it again. How many of us have felt something similar? And maybe we haven't told anyone because we don't tend to talk about this kind of stuff. But how many of us have felt like we have gone down a path and there is no way back? Like we're locked in. There's no way to get back to who we were before. No way to go any direction other than east further into exile. One of the most revealing things about the story of Jonah is that God isn't stuck in Israel or Jerusalem. He's not trapped in the temple. Here we see God meeting Jonah east of Nineveh. While that idea may seem fairly normal to us, it clearly wasn't to Jonah, and by extension, Israel. But the reality is that even though we know better, even though we know God is ever present, 
we still think and act otherwise. We still think and act like exiles. But the good news is that God is present and active. God poured himself into our humanity as a baby born in a dirty stable. And then he endured a cross and walked out of the tomb in order to bring us home. The first step in the right direction is recognizing God's mercy for ourselves and for everyone else. Even our enemies. In verses 10 through 11, God made a point about the plant and related it to the Assyrians of Nineveh. And the Lord pointed out that Jonah didn't do anything to make the plant grow. It grew and died outside of his involvement. The Lord had done all the work. And then he linked it to Nineveh, which again, Jonah had no involvement in growing or maintaining. And this link reveals to us the role God has in sustaining all of us. The Lord didn't just launch the world into existence and then sort of sit back and watch it all unfold. That's not what happened. The Lord actively gives life and sustains life. Why should any of us be angry if he then shows mercy to the life he gives and sustains? Even if it's the life of an enemy or someone who thinks differently or believes differently or votes differently than we do. Now that's part of the bigger picture here that Jonah is missing. If the Lord showed mercy on Nineveh, wouldn't their repentance of violence be a good thing for Israel? Wouldn't it lead to a period of peace between the two? And couldn't that peace be extended if both groups of people simply humbled themselves before the Lord and refrained from allowing their old, angry, violent ways to resurface and take control. Isn't that where we fail too? Aren't we just as likely to let our old mindset reemerge and start calling the shots again? Returning to that exile way of thinking and acting on our own volition. Don't we sort of enjoy carrying around our anger. We feed it by dwelling on all the ways we have been wronged by people or even God, and then we hang on to it like it's some sort of plush cubby toy that will help us sleep at night. At some point, we have to confront the broken condition of our own hearts. We have to ask ourselves, how have I held on to anger? How have I maintained my personal prejudices against people who are not like me? Against people who have hurt me? Or offended me? What have I done to ensure that my enemies remain my enemies? Where have I failed to show mercy and forgiveness? When have I refused to listen to what God is asking? 
how have I run away and hidden from the Lord? See, these questions, they don't go away. We may ignore them for a little while. We may find a way to avoid answering them for now. But sooner or later, we will find ourselves in a storm of our own making. And if we don't deal with these questions, we will end up exiling ourselves just like Jonah did. The story ends with a question that is not resolved. We have no idea how Jonah responded. This is done on purpose because the whole point is for the reader to be confronted with these questions and to wrestle with them. And so here we are as the ones reading it thousands of years later, and guess what? Nothing has changed. For example, the tomb of Jonah is located in part of the ruins of ancient Nineveh, which are themselves part of the modern city of Mosul, Iraq. In 2014, when ISIS took control of Mosul, they set explosives and destroyed the tomb and its shrine in an attempt to obliterate everything that it stood for. These were religious militants claiming that it had become a place of apostasy, not prayer, simply because those who frequented the site were not loyal to their group. Like Jonah, they wanted God to be the enemy of their enemies. If we don't find some way to peacefully get along, to leave our anger behind and lean into the mercy of God that is available to everyone, we are doomed. And this is true at a global level and at a personal level. Which means even if we can't do anything much about all the wars and rumors of wars going on out there, we can do something about our own personal lives and how we live. We can come to terms with our own anger, whatever it looks like. We can shake our fists at God and then move on to His mercy and grace, finding ourselves in the same loving hands as everyone else. And then we can extend that mercy and grace to others. As we wrap up the story of Jonah this morning, let's learn from it. Let's open our hearts to the Holy Spirit and really be willing to confess and get rid of any anger or prejudices towards others that would keep us from extending mercy and grace in Jesus' name. Let's follow in the footsteps of our Lord and Savior, receiving His mercy and grace and offering it to all, even those we might consider our enemies, instead of making ourselves exiles. Let's become outposts of peace in a chaotic world. Will you pray with me?